CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski show as I speak. What's the date, man? I've lost track of time. Thursday, June 30th. I'm still in Cali in my absolutely gorgeous Airbnb. I don't know if I'm ever going to come back. I love it here so much. And for reasons I do not know, I was just talking to Nate about this. It may guess, my distinguished guest. My camera doesn't work. Doesn't matter to you because this is just audio only. But I'm like, I'm starting to wonder if my guests think I'm real anymore because they haven't been able to see me all week. Uh, let's see what the headlines in today's paper are. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, some weird stuff going on in the world. And uh, first of all, two two things I want to point out to. Katanji Brown-Jackson is sworn in as justice, making history. So uh, presidential elections do have consequences, ladies and gentlemen. Just want to say that this, the, the voters of the United States thought it was a good idea to like Donald John Trump in 2016. And as a result, we have Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch. Uh, and what's the third one? Amy Coney Barrett. Man, I did it off the top of my head. Just think about that. And Joe Biden. And I know a lot of my lefty listeners, I know I'm in lefty land, are not big, huge fans of Joe Biden. But come on, lefties, even you have to admit my beloved lefties, that Katanji Brown-Jackson is a better Supreme Court justice than Clarence Thomas, Sammy Alito, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett. Come on, my hardcore. Come on, Sam Holloway. I see you over there. Still not voting Democrat. Come on. Got to admit it. That's what I tell all my dear lefty fans, and I got millions of them. Uh, and then there's this note. I, I, I just could not leave the Washington Post website without just teasing their uh, liberal pundits. So uh, there's a headline. Uh, <laughs> this is just so hilarious, man. The liberals, you guys crack me up. So the headline is, Polls show gains for Dems, but will it last? See, that's what they do to the New York Times. And the <laughs> they say, will it last? So they know liberals are all scared. Oh, I'm scared. I'll click that button. Oh, that's how you do it. <laughs> I'm a little that way myself. I know I'm get very scared. And that motivates me. 
Uh, all right. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce yourself, and then we're going to take a deep dive into the things I love, which is politics. So distinguished guest, without any further ado, introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Emma Tai. I am the executive director of United Working Families. I'm happy to be here today. Yes, Emma Tai. She's very happy to be here today, and she's cool and calm right now, but inside she's rejoicing because it was a big night for the lefty, or I should say it's been a big uh, couple of days for lefties uh, in uh, the Chicago area, the state of Illinois. And uh, you know what, Emma, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, older woman, Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez, uh, sent me a text. She comes on the show all the time. So she sent me a text. Uh, <laughs> and she was so happy on election night. Hey, Ben, you see the results? <laughs> so we're going to bring her back. Uh, she's going to take a victory lap, Rosanna. Because uh, Rosanna, they were coming after her strong. Uh, Emma, and uh, we're not going to do a Rosanna conversation right now, but it's sort of the same group of characters, if you will, uh, on that corner of the northwest side of Chicago. So all you listeners out there, we're going to get a little parochial here. All you, uh, like people listening outside of Illinois and Chicago, we're going to take a little deep dive uh, into the inner workings of progressive politics in the city of Chicago with Emma, because her organization, that's what it's known for, and uh, pr promoting progressive politics or lefty politics, whatever they call it. Uh, and uh, so why don't you ta start, uh, Emma, by talking about some of the great triumphs, as you see it, from primary night uh, in uh, in Chicago. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the top, the headline is that Delia Ramirez, um, who's currently the assistant majority leader in the Illinois General Assembly, um, won the new congressional seat. This is the new Illinois third district that was created by the remap. Um, and she trounced her opponent, 36th Ward Alderman Gilbert Villegas, um, by a, you know, she got almost double his share of the votes. Um, and this is a district that includes, you know, a good part of both Rosanna's ward as well as Carlos Ramirez Rosa's ward in the 35th Ward. Um, and she ran as part of um, a left and progressive slate that included Anthony Joel Quesada for Cook County Commissioner and Lillian Jimenez for state representative, as well as Norma Hernandez for state representative out in the suburbs. And all four of them um, triumphed uh, on Tuesday night. And it was just truly an amazing thing to see. These are candidates who went up against the fraternal order of police. They went up against charter schools, against comed lobbyists, um, and they delivered a real decisive victory for working class people on Tuesday. Yeah. Let's talk about Delia's first. We'll get to the uh, others first. Delia has been on the show several times. People know her. Uh, she was a state representative uh, from the northwest side of Chicago and tag team with uh, Rob Martwick uh, on the legislation that gave Chicago kicking and screaming all the way. Typical Chicago an elected school board. God help we have democracy in the city of Chicago. Uh, and um, this is an open seat, as you said, uh, Delia. The uh, map makers decided it'd be a good idea to have another uh, majority uh, Hispanic uh, seat or plurality, I suppose. And uh, yeah, Delia is not afraid to say, I am uh, of the left. Uh, I believe um, she's uh, asserted herself strong on uh, criminal justice uh, bills. Uh, and uh, so what is what do you think her her uh, victory says about we're voters, uh, Hispanic voters, working class voters uh, and suburban voters uh, where they are right now uh, as we head in toward November's election? Yeah, look, I mean, this is just a this is a very difficult time for people in Chicago and the suburbs around the country. Right. We have a far right 
high court that is taking away not only fundamental our fundamental right to make decisions about when and if we have children, but just today stripped um, the Environmental Protection, Protection Agency of its power um, to make a dent in our sort of <laughs> accelerating path towards global climate change and global warming on a scale that you know nothing like we've ever seen before. This is a far right court. Um, and we have a party, an opposition party in the GOP that is bent on permanent minority white supremacist rule. That is not, you know, that is not a conspiracy theory. That is just what they are doing because it, because it is their path to power and they're using all their tools available to them, even if it means we live in a world where there's a mass shooting every day, um, where children are killed in elementary schools, um, and people just throw up their hands, they, you know, thoughts and prayers, right? And so this is a time when people are feeling just very frustrated, very shut out from the halls of power, not listened to, not cared for. Um, and the centrist Democrats aren't getting it done. They're not picking up the fight, right? The Supreme Court took away our right to make fundamental decisions about when and if we have kids, about our bodies. Um, and you had leadership of the Democratic Party saying, mm, yeah, you know, I guess we just got to read the opinion and like see what it is. Like, no. This is horrible. And Delia knows that it's horrible. She's part of a new generation of leadership who know, who understand that their mantle is to take up the fight um, and is to come from the fight, to come from movements of people who have been organizing together to win justice for people who have been left behind by the American economic and political system. They come from that space and they are taking that fight to Congress, whether it's Cori Bush, you know, sitting in on the steps of the Capitol for housing justice, for, you know, an eviction moratorium. Um, Delhi is very much in that same model, and we're really um, excited that she's going to Congress and excited by the results that showed that overwhelmingly this is what people want. They want people who will unapologetically fight for them. I want to give a shout out right now to uh, an old friend of mine, Ryan Kelleher. RK, I see you. Uh, she was very pivotal in the Delia Ramirez campaign. She's one of these activists who stays in the background, doesn't want people to know about her, but I give her a shout out and it leads up to this question. I give a shout out to activists uh, like Ryan. I'll tell you why I do this, uh, Emma, because I believe, uh, I hear what you're saying about themes and uh, uh, mattering and issues mattering, but uh, when you get into a Democratic primary in June where the turnout was so low, uh, I forget what, the, like 30% or something like that. Uh, the turnout was very low. It really comes down to uh, who works the hardest, who knocks on the most doors, uh, who's the most sophisticated about their approach. And I just believe that um, Delia Ramirez uh, and her team outworked uh, Gil Viegas' team from the get-go. Uh, and that was my sense of it. Uh, he had a lot of advantages uh, as a, uh, a um, an alderman, well-known name, uh, and uh, he was backed by the Fraternal Order of Police, and he was backed by uh, some other unions. So it's not like he he had, was a huge disadvantage here. I just think uh, at some point uh, pounding doors and outworking uh, the other side is pivotal. Uh, do you share my belief in that? Yeah, fully, and I want to just second your shout-out for Ryan Kelleher. She's our United Working Families. She's our elections director, and she is the UWF member who back in 2017 – had the vision to understand that Delia was the right choice and who did the work, absolutely what you're talking about, the work of organizing people behind a vision. That's what gets us done. Gil Viegas is a corporate lobbyist, right? He 
outpaced Jelly in fundraising in the last quarter of the year by almost a two to one margin because he has a Rolodex of lobbyists and private corporations who are willing to get a friend of theirs into Congress. And what people like Ryan did is that is they mounted a serious organizing campaign that was going to raise money from you know, thousands of grassroots donors that was going to knock on doors, that was going to put precinct captains in motion um, to deliver this win. And I do, I do think that that's right, that um, it is, we only win in ways that matters when, in ways that matter when we organize. Um, we, the only thing that we have to take on um, all the powers mounted against us right now is people power. And that just takes the hard work that's often unseen of organizing. And Ryan's one of the best examples we have of that. She is. And before we were behind, I just want to say this. I remember when she was a scrappy little forward coming off the bench at Von Steuben as a freshman. Put me in, coach. I'll get that rebound. Ryan Keller getting rebounds. All right. Uh, some races that people should know about uh, and uh, that are really below the headlines. Uh, but this, see, we talk about this all the time on the show, uh, Emma. I get these people come on the show. They go, the problem with the Democrats is they don't have a bench. Okay. So they're not developing young uh, elected officials who one day will be the Congress people. Delia is already there, but she started with state rep, so you could see what I'm saying. Uh, you know, in many places uh, in Magaland, the uh, school board is the first step in elevating someone's career. Again, in the city of Chicago, the powers that be like, well, we don't, we don't really trust voters, so we're not going to have an elected school board. I just want all the power for myself. Uh, we're going to get that. And so some of these uh, races like uh, Cook County Commissioner or state rep races are important for uh, starting a, a candidate off uh, in his or her career. And uh, then they become, as they're in, uh, in office for longer, uh, then they run for higher office and so on and so forth. Uh, Tammy Duckworth is now a senator, so uh, a similar story. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about, introduce uh, our listeners to, listeners to Norma Hernandez, uh, who won in the 77th state legislative seat. Talk, talk a little bit about her. Yeah, so Norma Hernandez, this is a great example of, you know, the, um, you know, having a candidate pipeline. So Norma Hernandez, we recruited Norma to run for the Triton College Board of Trustees um, last year. Because that was an administrative body, you know, these, um, unlike the Chicago or even the city colleges of Chicago, many of these suburban city colleges and like you said, um, school districts have elected races. And so Triton College is the same as a suburban community college um, where the board of trustees was defunding student services um, and, you know, locking workers out of getting a fair contract. Um, and so we, together with um, Cook County College Teachers Union Local 1600, we took on all of, you know, the major kind of political machines out there and elected Norma Hernandez to the Triton College Board of Trustees, um, where she sort of, you know, immediately, I think, having proved her mettle, um, became a serious contender for this race to unseat Kathy Willis, this longtime kind of moderate Democrat out in the suburbs, um, you know, sort of during, um, you know, in the throes of the pandemic, we had a rental relief bill that Kathy Willis voted against, right? So this is someone with a long track record of sort of moderate positions on the issues and who's now been replaced with like the first Latina who's going to represent that district owner. Right. Yeah. Very now, uh, it is exciting uh, when I, uh, from the leftist pers uh, perspective, do you share I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm asking it anyway. Uh, do you share some of the um, uh, nervousness of my friends of the centrist and liberal persuasion uh, when a uh, left of center 
uh, candidate uh, goes into November uh, and uh, is running against Republicans uh, who will bash them as a radical leftist uh, and uh, a rioter and a looter. Uh, and so my, my friends of the uh, squishy uh, centrist persuasion, just the knees start knocking, they start buckling, uh, they break out into a sweat, uh, and then you have to have a glass of lemonade. Uh, do you share those uh, same paranoias and fear, or are you more confident about uh, the, the, um, the widespread acceptability of, of your political views? I mean, I think that, um, you know, the, the question for me is really about, I, I'll just, I'll answer, I'll answer the, the question short, which is that, no, I don't share it. I actually think the problem is that, as I see it, the point of politics is to, um, is to, it's to, if the world is unjust and we are working to change it, we are working to make it more just, um, and, I don't think that you do that by running away from what you believe. I think that you do that by putting forward the biggest vision of what this world could be, like the, the farthest horizons you can imagine, and then organizing year round, not just during elections, to win people to it and to build the power you need to like make progress towards that thing and towards those, towards those dreams. And so I think that people who think that way, in my experience, have a very narrow view of you know, change, change is made through these elections, they run in these three month cycles, and there's only so much you can do in that three month cycle. Like that, is, that is true. There's only so much you can do in the three month cycle of an election when it's kind of already baked. Um, but to why would you limit yourself to that tactical horizon? Right? Why would you settle? Why would you settle for anything less than everything? That's what that's what our opposition is doing. They won't settle until they have everything. It took them a week ago, they took away my bodily autonomy, and today they took away my children's right to grow up in a future uh, free of rampant natural disasters, climate migrants, water shortages, drought, climate disaster, you know, world wars and refugees. Like they are going to take everything, and I don't believe in being scared of saying that we want the same. Yeah. Very good, and it would, the opponent, obviously, uh, that uh, she's alluding to is MAGA, uh, which is headed by Donnie Trump. So your point is uh, well taken. Yeah, they certainly are holding back. We're going to get into uh, a statewide uh, race where it'll be a real showdown with MAGA, uh, Darren Bailey running against J.B. Pritzker. But I want I want to just continue with the with the these. Uh, uh, lower ballot elections, which I think are very important. Uh, Lillian Jimenez, another state rep, she won uh, Delia's seat. Talk about that race. Oh, yeah. We're just absolutely thrilled. Um, for Lillian. We had UWF members staffing both Delia and Lillian's campaign. Anthony Quezada, who I mentioned, uh, won the Cook County board race. He's a member of our executive committee. This was a this was a big night for United Working Families. And Lillian, she... Um, you know, she has she has direct experience with going through, you know, her family has experienced poverty, wage theft, deportation proceedings. She has direct lived experience um, with the unjust and cruel situations that we put, you know, poor immigrant working class people into in this country. Um, she's very animated and rooted in that. She's a community attorney. She's worked at the county. She's been in public service her entire career, working to crack down on exploitative bosses and pass the first countywide minimum wage and paid sick leave policies. She's absolutely going to be, you know, a champion for working people and 
you know, 100% the right choice to take up the mantle of Delia Ramirez, whose sh- whose seat she'll uh, be inheriting when Delia goes to Congress. And who did you have to beat to win that seat? So we there were two opponents in that race, uh, Manny Jimenez, Emmanuel Jimenez, and um, Hector. Um, and you know, both of them, honestly. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to this election night party for a long time. Lillian won with 80% of the vote in that race. They were not serious, credible opponents. Um, and it is just, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. 80%. Good God. That, uh... That's not a mandate. I don't know what is. <laughs> if that's and, and I'll say, you know, and her opponents, yeah. they were backed by the Fraternal Order of Police. They were backed by the charter schools, and she won with 80% of the vote. Yeah, man, the charter school. Come on, charter schools. Get your head together. Let, let your workers organize a union. Absolutely, 100%. The charter schools, let your teachers form a union. It's all over then. Well, I know why they don't do it, because if they let their staffers the form a union. Okay. Yeah, that's the whole point is to kill the teachers. I get it, charter schools, but I'm just saying, man, <laughs> come on now. Yeah. Like, you know, it is the, the 21st century. The <laughs> yeah, that's my advice to Starbucks. Not that Starbucks listens to me. I've been saying this for <laughs> Starbucks. Come on now. Let's go. Yeah, these. You, this is your culture. It's like Costco does it. You can do it. OK. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, That's what I mean. Right. You know, you're not, no one gives up their power willingly, right? Whether it's Starbucks, whether it's charter schools, whether it's the MAGA, Supreme Court, um, we have to fight to take it. And anyone who's saying otherwise is blowing smoke. Absolutely. And then at some point, uh, and we're going to come back to this, you have to be, I'm going to speak to my lefties now, you have to be strategic lefties. If your candidate is not at the top of the ticket, you don't throw a little hissy fit and walk away because the stakes are high. And I repeat, who would you rather have on the Supreme Court, Katanji Brown Jackson or Amy Coney Barrett? And just think about that as uh, Amy Coney Barrett is voting to strip you of your rights, reproductive rights or your rights for clean air or something like that. So, uh no, look, I, well, you know, I get it, right? We had um, what twenty percent turnout on in the primaries on Tuesday. Like, I am sympathetic to the many, many people out there who are just so fed up with politics and they don't see anything changing and they don't think it's going to work. And it's not that they don't care, right? Everyone feels, you know, everyone feels beat down. Everyone feels sees the injustice in life. Everyone wishes that they their kids could go to better schools and breathe clean air. Um, but you can look at what your experience has been and like this, you know, this doesn't work. This doesn't, it's not worth it. People make that decision. And I think as our, as our, as organizers, it's our responsibility to win them to a different argument that if you do things differently, if you do things based in people power and based in a bold agenda, um, and based in building a real independent political organization that can keep your electeds close and keep the, and advance the organizing that it's needed to win, um, you can get different results, but it's our responsibility, um, to show them that, you know, like I, I was just thinking about this the other day, I graduated from college in 2008 and like my whole post-college experience has like pretty much, I don't know. Can I swear, Ben? Yes. This is a podcast. (laughs) Every word you could imagine has been said on this podcast, not by you, Emma, but by a lot of my other guests. Just think of a word that has been said. My whole post-college experience has been total bullshit. Like I graduated into, I graduated into the, um, I graduated into the, uh, recession 
there was Occupy Wall Street. Like no, the people who plunged the economy into the recession were never held to account. They just like went on and whatever took jobs in Obama's administration. Um, we, you know, we had uh, the recession. We've had just like escalating mass shootings and you know, natural disasters. We had Trump get elected. We had family separation. Like it's been horrible. Um, we had George Floyd and, you know, the police keep killing black people and keep getting funded to expand their weaponry and surveillance systems. Um, like I understand why someone would look at this and be like, this is bullshit and it sucks. And as organizers, it is our responsibility to believe that change is possible when we come together and fight. Um, and we have to recruit more people into that fight and we have to show that there's a different, that things can be different and there's a different way of doing things. And I think that we're starting to see the fruits of that labor um, emerge with results like what we saw on Tuesday. That was a great riff. I'm with you about 99% on that riff. Uh, but I don't feel s sympathetic for anybody to vote. But we, you know what? I'm just some old school baby boomer who's going <laughs> to, you know, back in the day, we did it this way. So I'm not going to go there. I'm a, I'm gonna, but that was a great riff. And you're so right. You're, I mean, everything you said about what your generation has faced uh, since you came of voting age is I, right on. So you're absolutely correct. All right. Let's uh, another piece of good news uh, for uh, people, of the lefty persuasion. And this one uh, kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't following this. I confess, but I'm going to bring this uh, young man on the show. Uh, and uh, you, you already mentioned him a couple times from the county board, Cook County board. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of progressives on that Cook County board, very quietly building like a little progressive yeah, community on the, the county board. Is a place to watch. Like, look, this is a this is a branch of government that yeah. has you know tens of thousands of unionized workers that administers the county jail, which is like one of the largest criminal justice systems in the country. Administers the Cook County Hospital and Health System which is like the, the primary provider of healthcare at scale for, you know, sort of our, you know, our poorest residents. Um, the Cook County Forest Preserve, when you think about a Green New Deal um, and the future of environmental justice, you know, in this county, this is a really important body of government that I think you're going to start seeing um, just like a lot more interesting, you know, vision and fights coming out of that body in the coming years. Yeah, so uh, Anthony uh, was victorious. Uh, Anthony Joel Zadu, talk a little bit about uh, him and his campaign. Yeah, this was a really exciting win. Anthony Joel Casada, um, he's a UWF member. He's um, you know provided many many services and organized many many fights alongside Carlos Ramirez Rosa, um, who where he works in the thirty fifth ward office um, for Alderman Rosa. Um, he is a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, um, and he ran just like a truly people-powered campaign out of the political organization up there, United Neighbors of the 35th Ward, um, that took on, you know, a real dynastic family in Chicago politics, the Arroyos. Um, the Arroyo Sr., the patriarch, recently was uh, sentenced to, I believe, a five-year um, prison sentence, prison term for his role in a federal bribery scheme. And so you're, what you're really seeing is the decline of these longtime and sort of like political institutions and the rise of a real serious, um, you know, a real serious political organization that is rigorously contesting um, in the electoral and non-electoral arenas for political power 
um, that is helmed by women, by non-binary people, by queer people, um, by people, working class, born working class people of color, and that is replacing these sort of old um, apparatus, these old sort of machine apparatus, and starting to install a real new generation of left and progressive leadership. Yeah, no, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, uh, again, it was a very low turnout. I said it was 30, but you said it was 20. I think you're right, actually. I think I overestimated it. <laughs> it's pathetic. I know, I know, I know. I was right. It's you guys have a grew up with lousy, but that's that is. I'm sorry. And by the way, it's not it's just not young people. My dear friend Monroe Anderson comes on the show every Wednesday. Uh, is obsessed with Donald Trump and bringing Trump down. He didn't even vote. So he said, well, you know, there was no choice. Now, that's true, by the way. For a lot of people, I got to tell you this. Uh, but we're talking about contested races. You're going through the contested races. But uh, in, in many, um, my own, it was uh, sort of an election that was kind of would have fit in well with the Soviet Union in the 1980s. You just had one name. Well, <laughs> so you're either, you're, I'm going to vote for uh, President Brezhnev, you know, or yeah, you know, or who? No one. So, I mean, there's not, we, we there's, do not make it easy for people to run for office. You know, as someone who's worked with a lot of working class women of color candidates over the year, like they've had to leave their jobs. They've had to oftentimes go without insurance. You know, Delia in her 2018 um, campaign, not only was she uninsured while she was campaigning for that office, but she was in a, um, she had something happen to her car and she, she just lost her car. She couldn't afford a new car. Like, there's a tremendous amount of sacrifices that we ask people to make when they run for office. It's just, it's not an arena that is hospitable, um, that has like, that has low barriers to entry. Um, and that's wrong. And that's why we need organizations like United Working Families that can just exist year round to provide some sort of support. Because if that is, those are the kinds of candidates that we want in office, people who know that struggle and know that lived experience, then we also have responsibility to back them up um, when they take these kinds of risks and make these kinds of sacrifices because they are not easy to make. Absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. And I just thought for a moment, just you telling that tale, I realized what a remarkable ascendance Delia Ramirez, because I do remember that 2018 campaign. And I, I thought it was like, I'm like, oh my God, it was only four years ago. Mm, and now she's yeah. going to Congress. She'd probably win the general, unless yeah. you guys fa freaking fall asleep, which I don't think Delia Ramirez is going to fall. I'm going to go down and have a vacation now. No, I don't think that's happening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and uh, she's, she plays to win. So I think uh, they're not going to fall asleep. But what a remark. You're, you're absolutely correct. And uh, we talk about we haven't talked about this in a while on the show, but why did New York get AOC and Chicago? We don't have AOC. I'm I, you know, I know you didn't make an endorsement in this race. I had Keena Collins on the show. She was running against Danny K. Davis in the seventh congressional. She came on the show I think four times. Like, I mean, what an attractive candidate! Young, energetic, progressive. You know. Playing from her heart, but Chicago's got this. Ad they make you're right. They make it really difficult to get on the ballot. Then they send everybody knocking on your door. Hey, you know, if you drop out of the race, I can make you a precinct captain. You know, I mean, they just try to co-opt you, and you get phone calls. And I think it's harder in Chicago. I think AOC, as uh, with all the talents she have, would have a harder time winning in the city of Chicago than winning in New York. Your general thoughts on that topic. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, with you, I don't know a ton about New York politics. So it's difficult for me to do like sort of an apples and apples to comparison. But, you know, having done this work in Chicago, I can definitely attest that it is 
very hard. <laughs> um, it is just and that it really requires, um, you know, I think that some people there's a, you know, there's a theory of the case sort of by justice Democrats and others, right. That is sort of a, a candidate first, right. That you need the right candidate. And I think that that is true, but it is not the only thing that is true. Like, yes, you need the right candidate and you need the right issues and you need the organizing. And frankly, you need the money and you need the apparatus. Like there's a lot of things that it takes to win power because again, anyone who currently has power and who is wielding that power in such a way that is making our lives actively worse, taking away our bodily autonomy, like uh, directly harming our ability to live in a future livable planet, um, funding the police, even though they, you know, as they continue to kill, brutalize, surveil Black people and communities of color, um, those people aren't going to willingly give up that power. And so, yeah, of course, they're going to make it extremely difficult for us to take it away, which is why it is our responsibility to mount the most serious um campaign to win that we can. And I think what you're seeing is that, you know, like I mentioned, my whole experience sort of since in my sort of that came of age politically has been like a lot of bullshit and it's, you know, not unique to me. And I think that you're seeing a lot of people of my generation, frankly, quite a bit younger than me, um, really learn, learn how to do it um, in just increasingly in rigorous and serious ways that are challenging a status quo that has just left us out to dry for so many years. By the way, uh, I just have to go back to use of the word bullshit. Uh, I, when you said, can I swear? I'm like, what is she asking permission? I'm like, what word is she going to use? It'll blow my mind and bullshit. Uh, Kim Fox, the only time she came on the show, she said bullshit. And then her opponent used it in a campaign ad. She said bullshit. Only they bleeped it out because like, oh, my God, no one should be allowed to hear this word, which they use every day. Uh, and uh, so I'm wondering, Emma, if uh, your po opponents will use this. Emma Ty said bullshit. Shit. They are welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> and I will exactly the context in which I said it because it is bullshit. And anyone who says otherwise is lying. And I think that what you are seeing, again, is a new generation of candidates and political leaders who are tapping in to the very real anger that people have at the rampant injustice and ossification and ability of our current political system to respond to it in a meaningful way. It's bullshit and it needs to change. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, all right. Uh, so let's go statewide now. I think I ran through all the local races. Uh, there's many others I could go through, but I want to go statewide, close with statewide discussion. Very pivotal election coming up in November. Folks, uh, I'm going to be talking all about this every day. Darren D.B. Bailey, uh, the big guy, uh, the farmer uh, from central Illinois. He doesn't play, man. He's maggot at the core. As I've said many times in the show, he's the maggiest MAGA man in the state of Illinois and is proud of it. And he's got his little sidekick, uh, Tommy DeVore, running uh, for attorney general. Uh, and so... The key issue in my humble opinion, well, there's so many, but at the top of the list, uh, abortion rights. Illinois has abortion rights. Uh, I got news for you. DB and Tommy DeVore get in, in office and they get some Supreme Court justice to back them up. See you later. Wake up, Illinois. You're going to be like Texas. I'm telling you, these guys don't play. You know, he'll mumble this, that, and the other thing in a debate, like, you know, like throw in something. Well, the woman's life is in danger, you know, and then. Or, you know, some uh, squishy moderates. Like, oh, well, you know, he's not totally against it. And 
The first fights I predict will be on uh, if uh, uh, DB is elected a governor. Uh, Emma will be in women coming to Illinois from like say Texas uh, or um, uh, Florida or states where there's a heavy report abortion restrictions. Alabama, Mississippi, etc. and so forth. Uh, coming to Illinois for abortions, you watch. Uh, uh, Darren Bailey and his sidekick Tom DeVore will be actively working with the states that those ones come from to like uh, identify them, maybe even f- help them file charges, uh, get information from the women's health clinics that they attend. Uh, so the battle will be, will your attorney general stand up for the privacy rights of uh, patients in Illinois or will they work with law a wacky MAGA law enforcement officials from Mississippi. This is serious stuff. It's right down around the corner. So I take very seriously uh, this racist threat, this Darren Bailey threat uh, to become the governor and bring MAGA law uh, to the state of Illinois and his sidekick, Tommy DeVore. Uh, Your general thoughts uh, on this upcoming, not just the governor's race, but attorney general as well. Yeah, no, I full I fully agree with you, Ben. I mean, I think that look, Illinois already is, you know, a shining light for many people who need life saving life saving abortions, um, and medical and reproductive care. You know, I think last year ten thousand or twenty twenty ten thousand non residents received abortions in Illinois, up from three thousand in two thousand fourteen. So this is Illinois is a sanctuary state for people who are in crisis and we cannot lose that. And that is, you know, that is the Reproductive Health Act that was passed. That's Pritzker's repeal of um, parental notification law last year. And so um, absolutely, I'm the granddaughter actually of an abortion provider in Pennsylvania. And um, I am very determined that, you know, Illinois will not go back and that it will be a shining light on the hill for for so many people who are going to need this care. I've got a, you know, I've got a friend, she's a nurse midwife in Wisconsin where abortion is now illegal. And she's just spent the all last week in meetings as they were talking about, you know, how, how many months out can they prescribe emergency contraception? How are the students at the university of Wisconsin, the medical students at university of Wisconsin going to learn how to provide abortions? Like this is a, um, I don't think that we can, under, I think that you're right. I don't think we can undersell or underestimate um, how profoundly serious um, this is um, for so many people's lives and for so many families. Um, and so I'm really glad to see that, you know, Pritzker called an emergency session next week to keep codifying further abortion rights and protection for people who are coming in from out of state to get abortions, um, protection from extradition and criminalization. Um, I think that's exactly the kind of changes that we need. And I think that's exactly the kind of changes that I wish that, you know, Democrats in Congress and in the White House were being more proactive about seeking because now more than ever, it's what people need. Absolutely. And by the way, uh, not this show, but future shows, we'll be talking about Wisconsin. It's a fight up there in Wisconsin. Same thing. Now, Tony Evers, who's the governor of Wisconsin, uh, and the, uh, the Democratic Attorney General have said they will not prosecute uh, women who get abortions, they will not prosecute doctors who perform them, even though that's now uh, there was a trigger law that kicked in. Uh, and uh, so be, that's another fight because in November they'll be on the ballot. And so then the issue will be abortion will be at the top of the a top issue in Wisconsin as well. This is not going away, folks. If, you don't, if you're afraid of a fight, 
you're a little nervous. Does the other side is not afraid of a fight. So that's, that's just my I mean, warning. Just how many millions of people, both women and gender nonconforming people who need abortions and life-saving medical care, as well as healthcare practitioners, providers, abortion funds, medical educators, medical students, you know, millions of people across this country are being so profoundly affected by a decision made by six people. And so I think, again, I just want to come back to, you know, we cannot be serious enough about the rights ambition for permanent minority rule. The Supreme Court is just one example of that. But you can also see it in the January 6th hearings. Like this is a life and death struggle um, for them, for their profits, for their ability to maintain power and control over our lives and our bodies and our futures and our children. Um, and we must treat that with the seriousness with which they treat it. Yeah. Absolutely. The seriousness with which they treat it. Well put. All right. Uh, so I just started with this baseline and I'm going to throw it at all my guests for the next week or so and see what they say. Because I learned from my guests. I really do. Uh, and so uh, the baseline I have is the 2020 uh, presidential election. I think I may have run this by you before uh, we went on here. The presidential election in the state of Illinois, uh, Biden got 57 percent of the vote. Donnie Trump got 43 so I just say, all right, that's DB, big fella. That's your vote. You got 43% of the vote. That's MAGA. They're hardcore. They don't care if Donald Trump was about to uh, uh, send armed militiamen into the Congress to uh, kill uh, Vi Vice President uh, Mike Pence and uh, uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They don't care. That makes them like them more. They've lost their minds. They're cultists. There's nothing you could do about that 43%. Uh, but that means, if I, my math is correct, uh, that JB can expect up to 57% of the vote because those are the people who didn't vote for Donnie. Uh, what's your sense of this basic uh, equation that I've set up? I mean, I think in any, in any situation when you're looking at the political math like that, there's, you know, this goes back to kind of like the seriousness of the operation, right? It's like, what can you control and what can't you control? Um, you know, Bailey's the Republican nominee. I can't control that. What I can control is what are the work that we are going to do for the people who either are with us or who could be with us? What is our work and what is our responsibility to show them that they should be with us? What is our vision for what we are going to do? What is our plan? What is What are the ways in which they're going to interact with our campaign, with our people, with our volunteers, with our candidates um, to show that their lives matter, that their futures are important to us and that we have a plan to make them materially better. Um, that's what we can control. And so that's what I think. I think less about, um, you know, how Bailey's going to run up his numbers. He's just going to do whatever bullshit is that like MAGA does. My question is, how do we run up our numbers? And I think that that is you know, there, there's a real, there's a real debate, like what you talked about between the centrist and the left that's happening right now. You know, there's like the centrists think that, you know, the way that you win is by, you know, kind of like running to the middle and kind of like running away from the visionary policies and from, um, and from the, the more radical positions. And, you know, I just think that that has been tried and it doesn't work. Not only does it not work in terms of delivering what people need, but it doesn't work politically in terms of winning. 
Um, there's a reason why Bernie is like the most popular politician in the country right now, maybe second only to Donald Trump. And it's because Bernie doesn't apologize for what he believes. Um, and he doesn't, he knows who he is accountable to, which is the people. It's not the consultant class. It's not the pollsters and the focus groups and all the other sort of stuff that comes with like the industry. Um, it's about delivering for the multiracial working class majority in this country um, who deserve, need, and want more. Wait, you, you, you caught me off guard with that one. So we're going to close with you uh, taking a deeper dive in that. You, you said Bernie is the most popular politician next to Donnie Trump uh, in the country today. I, I, I was unaware of that. Like, is there a poll that came out where they asked people, who's your favorite politician? And uh, more, Donnie was first and Bernie was second. Is that correct? <laughs> um, I, you know, I haven't seen the poll. It's really based more on my, my sense is that it's actually really based more on fundraising. Like who's able to send an email, um, and raise millions of dollars. And Bernie's able to, in a way that I think no one besides maybe Donald Trump is able to, um, and so, you know, and it's, and it's because there are so many people who believe in what he's in, in what he stands for, who, for so long have had these just sort of, you know, mealy mouthed guys kind of saying whatever focus tested message. And like, that's just not, it's not getting it done. It's not getting it done politically in terms of delivering the wins. And it's not getting it done materially in terms of delivering improvements in people's lives. And so I think it's time to try something new. What we saw on Tuesday bears out that argument. And I'm excited to keep doing it here in Chicago and Illinois. All right, Emma, uh, we'll close with uh, folks want to uh, learn more about your organization, get involved with your organization, give the details of how they can find you. Yep. Our website is unitedworkingfamilies.org. You can follow us on Twitter at UWF Illinois, Instagram, UWF Illinois, um, Facebook at United Working Families. Um, we'd love to have you be a part of the organization. All right, Emma Ty, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it's been too long since I can't remember the last time uh, you were on. I think you had a right before you had a baby, or you may have just had a baby. Oh, I, think, so, I think it may have been. It may have been pre-COVID. I remember we were in the studio, so it has oh been too long. great to be back in conversation with you again. It is. It's a, it is really great. And yeah, no more studio for me. I'm California Ben. I'm in Cali right now. <laughs> Uh, but I, st I still come back to Chicago. Then I'm attic, Ben, because I do the show from my attic overlooking an alley. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I don't really go out anymore, Emma. Uh, <laughs> but I still <laughs> watch the world and talk about it. Uh, all right. Emma, you thank, you. thank you very much. That's a great Emma Ty. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.